Hello, my lovelies. This is May K. Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. Hello, my lovely Quiet Rebels. Oh, today is such a good conversation because if you ever want to reduce your likelihood of having crickets when you're launching a new offer, whether it's a program, an online course, or a new service, this is something that you're really going to want to listen to about how you can really gather some extremely rich insights from your audience. So I'm super excited to have Nicola Moores on at the podcast today, and she's going to be geeking out with us on all things interviewing, but without it sounding like an interview. So <laughs> uh, because we're friends, I'm going to go ahead, Nick. So Nick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I can't oh. wait to dig in and geek out together. I know. Oh gosh, she has such plans. <laughs> like in the green room, we're just like, you know, making sure that we know exactly what we're covering. And I totally forgot that she is going to be like doing some live demos on me. So I really hope I don't mess this up. <laughs> you will. You'll be fine. I'll be kind. I promise. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right. So before we do get started, you have a really interesting background that I'd love for our audience to know about. So how did you get into conversion? conversion copywriting and how has your background really kind of led into that so before I get into how I got into conversion copywriting I'll start from the beginning and my background so I actually went to university and trained as a journalist and then for six years I worked at a press agency here in the UK writing real life features for the national magazines and newspapers so um, and the stories appeared around the world as well we actually syndicated them but the real life stories they are basically first person accounts from normal people like you and me the magazines um, I think they're kind of exclusive to the UK's kind of magazines but they don't have celebrities in just normal people talking about you know their experiences and so um, I often dealt with quite a lot of hard-hitting cases it was often a lot of crime um stories I dealt with and so we had to find these people um find these women convince them to speak out about some you know really often traumatic things that they've been through really you know coach them interview them write the stories for them um and so I did that for six years at a yeah the press agency I mentioned before and then after I'd been there about four years, one of my colleagues um, was doing some writing on the side as a copywriter. And journalism isn't highly paid. Um, I didn't go in it for money, obviously, uh, more the love of helping people speak out. But um, she said, yeah, you know, I get a bit of extra money on the side. And I thought I could really do with buying more Rioca. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> and buy more wine. So um, 
so yeah, I literally started my business in June 2018, really on a whim, to be honest. <gasps> Same as me. Oh, Same wow. time frame for the, for the copywriting, yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah, snap. Natural <laughs> <Retro> high five. High <laughs> five. So sorry, Maybe carry on. Maybe <laughs> too much. <laughs> um, yeah, and so started my business June 2018, took a really random copywriting course online and realized I was actually quite good at it and that a lot of the skills I used as a real life journalist translated over, you know, sort of injecting emotion into the articles, using storytelling, and then also um, being able to interview people and get them to open up about things. It's, there was a lot of crossover. Um, yeah, and I've loved it ever since. And so I quit journalism in February of this year and went into doing, being a copywriter full time. Oh, amazing. And okay, I'm still like virtual high-fiving in my head. I'm like, oh my God, G2018, that's such an iconic month for me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, but I do want to backtrack a little bit because um, I know that when we spoke about this before, um, when I invited you on the podcast, there is something really, hmm, how do I want to say this? Because you have interviewed people in the past who have gone through really difficult, um, difficult situations, like how did you manage to hold yourself? as you were on the receiving end of all these answers to those questions to you know about their circumstances because it was pretty deep and dark stuff like you said that it's ventured into like the crime um so you don't have to give a specific example but I would love to hear like um how it felt for you to play that really important role for you to kind of like really capture what it is that they've experienced into a way that could be a valuable story for people to know in the papers yeah I gotta say you know it's really hard at first when I first I think you have to be a a certain type of person and I'm the kind of person where I cry at anything I cry at Britain's Got Talent on the TV (gasps) yeah I'm one of those I cry you know I still can't watch Free Willy because it traumatized me as a kid and made me cry so much so you know I'm such I'm such an empathetic person I'm you know I'm really sensitive to other people's emotions and so at first you know when these women were telling me such horrific experiences it was I guess like from woman to woman it's really hard to not relate to them and feel their pain but then I also had to take a step back and remember that I'm there to do a job at the end of the day and if I'm you know sobbing into my notebook then I'm not going to be able to do my goal which is to help them speak out and you know really I think people have this stigma of journalists but it was such a rewarding job you know we even had um, police officers phoning us up um, saying you know this story that you wrote in x magazine helped this other person come forward and mm. I think that was I just remembered that but there were times when I would be interviewing these women and um, often they would tell me details that I couldn't report in the magazine they were too graphic or too gruesome and you know I'd be crying down the phone and one of the last stories that I wrote actually uh, I think it was in January getting goosebumps just thinking about it yeah I just I was crying while I'm interviewing her and trying to do it silently because um, I want them to feel like they can trust me. And I guess you want to not show too much emotion, but show enough to show that you're empathetic. You're going to treat them sensitively. 
you know they're putting this faith in your hands and so you want them to feel safe especially after they've not felt safe in the past so it was really it's a very fine line but yeah it's just about being human being friendly and um yeah it was tough though really tough yeah uh I mean like I'm such a crier at movies and there's this one advert that sticks out in my mind because I sense to everybody <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to you after this actually um it is like a quick short story how there is this um guy who's walking his daughter to school um and he's reading a like a homework that she did it's like oh my daddy is the smartest in the world my daddy is the best so it's like all of these wonderful things and then then she says like but he lies and then he stops in his tracks as his face drops and she talks about all the things that she knows that he does for her it's like he lies about having a job he lies about not being hungry because they didn't have enough food um and he lies about being happy for me you know for his, oh god now that i talk about it, i'm starting to well up now it is such a sweet thing um so gosh I can't imagine actually no I can't imagine what it's like to hold space for somebody especially when they haven't felt safe before so before we move on with our conversation do you have any advice about how to really balance that fine line between being supportive but still being a professional and how to create that sense of safety in a short amount of time because um, how much time did you have to get to know them before you started interviewing them? Not a lot of time, to be honest. Um, so if they were nearby to where my office was, I would go meet them in person, which I think really helped. But so generally, if I met them in person, I'd spend a couple of hours with them, maybe. And that, the bulk of that would be the interview. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, it would be on the phone, maybe an hour. And again, the bulk of that would be the interview. But I mean, first off, um, I think it's about making yourself seem human you know I think people again like I said before people have this stigma of journalists and so you're reminding them that you know you have a heart you are human at the end of the day and so I would always start off my conversations with small talk you know ask them where they're from um often if I heard a dog in the background I would say you know ask them about the dog or usually I would find them over the social media so I would have seen some of their profile so again just picking up bits that you can talk about and and I think when they talk about something they feel comfortable and safe with whether it's children or animals or family or wherever they're from um you're sort of breaking those barriers down bit by bit um Mm. and then often we would just start off you know we don't start off at the traumatic event it was often sort of their childhood or something before that some happy memories that they've got so again it's it's sort of breaking it down for them Um, and then when when I wanted to find out a bit more detail about what had happened, it's about taking things slowly, reminding them that they are safe. You know, we can go at their pace. They don't have to rush. They don't have to talk about anything they don't want to. And I think you probably noticed my voice lowers. I talk a bit slower. Um, and then when they um, say something that's not very nice, I think it's just about showing empathy and just saying, oh, my gosh, that must have been so hard or you know, something like that to make them feel um, like they're talking to a friend. And then in terms of balancing it with being professional, honestly, I think it just takes practice. And, you know, when people are writing copy for their um, sales pages or whatever they're writing copy for, hopefully you won't be digging into, you know, 
experiences like this but um yeah it, I think it does take time it's almost like being a counsellor at the, end of the day you know you have to sort of build it up and and uh, a lot of it was just swallowing the emotion back down just thinking you know I can't deal with this right now and then often I remember once I um went to an interview in Wales and it was a three-hour train ride home back to Birmingham and uh, I just sobbed the whole way but I couldn't cry there in front of the lady because you know she was trusting me but on the way home yeah I sobbed the whole way and got to myself oh. some chocolate oh bless you <laughs> oh my goodness yeah I mean that is your you know your past experience and I love how you've been able to translate that human touch to a similar process not quite the same but so if you guys didn't know this I used to be a copywriter and when (laughs) and when I was operating as one as in taking projects and things number one thing that we were always told is research 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 on your ideal customer avatar what is it that they are going through what is the struggle that they are facing what is the goals that they want to achieve what is stopping them all the things and there are many different ways that you can actually research um so we call it voice of customer data where you literally use the voices of your ideal customer in order to reflect in your copy so it actually connects with them and so I'd love to hear from you, Nick, that the different types of research and why in your, you know, your professional experience and yeah, your professional experience, why do you think interviews are the richest one? So I kind of gave it away, but even so, <laughs> um, share with us the different types first and then let's kind of like round off on interviews. Yeah, sure. So like you said, there are so many ways to do research the main ones that I like to stick to are surveys so let's just give an example just so we can can really spell this out so let's say for example you um are launching a course which I know you are soon I've I've seen (laughs) launching right now (laughs) um so let's talk about your course um so your launch let's say I was working with you on the copy so I would put together a survey for your list um, you could even post it on Instagram, for example. And we really want to find out what people are struggling with, like you said. Um, if you had already launched the course and this was a relaunch, I would use a survey to um, even send that to people that didn't buy the course the last time because you want to find out why they didn't buy from you. I know it might hurt. <laughs> it might be hard to hear, but it's so important because you really want to find out what their objections were, why they chose not to press the buy button because they received the emails, right? So why didn't they buy? And then you can um, overcome those objections in your sales page. You want to find out, you know, did they choose somebody else's course over yours? If so, why? What did they prefer about that person? Um, So surveys are a huge one. Um, Interviews, of course, we will go into that in a lot more detail. So again, with the interviews, I like to speak to people that, did buy and didn't buy um so it's often a mixture of current customers previous customers and then some people who didn't buy and the interviews um I'd say they just go deeper than the surveys you know in surveys a lot of the time people only answer with the um surface level problems or surface Mm. level goals that you know they've got for example they might say you know I want to earn a million dollars well why do you want to earn a million dollars well, I want to provide security for my family. I'm the main provider. And then it's going deeper and deeper each layer and you get to the actual the actual goal, what's actually driving them forward. Um, so surveys, interviews, review mining. So that's 
where we find the audience online, see what they're talking about. It's a lot of scrolling through the internet. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I'd say that those are the main ones. There are loads of others you can do. You can do heat mapping, for example, or click tracking where you're um, using a certain software on a website page, seeing where people's eyes land. It's, it's very intricate. Oh, um, that's a hot jar, right? Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. Um, so that's another example. Um, yeah, they're, they're sort of, I'd say, surveys, interviews, and review managers, the main ones I do. And I always do competitor audits as well. Find out what their competitors are saying, what they're not saying, what are they missing? How can we set you apart from these other people and make you seem like the ultimate choice? Hmm. Yeah, so I agree that with a lot of the other methods like review mining and surveys that you're they are giving those insights to you without you there and because of that you can't be there for them to hold space if they want to actually go deeper into one of the questions so that's my assumption as to why interviews are rich but hey I'm interviewing you right now (laughs) so Nick why interviews I just really love them. I feel like having that conversation on a one-to-one level, it just means, like I said, you know, you can get past those surface level problems and answers that people always give. It means that you can connect with them. They trust you. They'll be more likely to open up. And then if they give an answer that's not satisfactory, shall we say, you can then follow up and get them to dig deeper and, um, yeah. And with surveys, people get bored, you know, so often, 10 questions is sort of the max I would say to do a survey Mm -hmm. if you're surveying people that didn't buy even less you know three to five questions at the max um but with interviews you know you're chatting to them for 30 minutes 45 minutes so you have so much time to to cover a lot of things plus what I like to ask in the interviews as well is things like you know what books are you reading what shows you're watching whether it's on Netflix or Amazon just so you can find those um, like nuances that you can add into the copy to add that you know create that extra level of detail and get the audience to really feel like you get them and understand them um that's why I love them I get really passionate when I talk about them. <laughs> I can see like you, you guys can't see Nick's face but like seriously like her eyes are like darting everywhere she's got a big grin on her face <laughs> yeah, oh, I feel like I people it. have a lot of resistance to them as well like you know, I've been a journalist for six years. I've interviewed hundreds of people. Mm. I'm very bubbly, very outspoken, extrovert. But so I guess people would say, oh, it's easy for you to to interview people because you're that kind of person. Whereas a lot of people hate it. They, you know, they, they feel scared about it. So I, I do mm. feel there's a lot of resistance to them as well. Yeah. And let, let's go into that because you just said, uh, you know, you're a bubbly extrovert. And this is the Quiet Rebels podcast. So many of us <laughs> are going to be a bit more introverted um, and less experienced in the in actually interviewing people. I mean, I I I think when I first started doing it, I, I would I had that resistance pool as well. So what advice would you give to somebody who's just starting? Like maybe even the practicalities, how many interviews, how do you set it up? Um I know you have an amazing resource for us at the end about what questions to ask and we'll do a live demo of that later. But if you could kind of like help um, showcase the step-by-step process and then we can go deeper into the actual interview. Yeah, so I said I'm an extrovert. I would say I'm bang in the middle because sometimes my extrovertedness 
runs out I need to be by myself in a dark room I'm sick of talking to people never you though never you Um, but yeah I think there are a few ways that you can overcome the resistance number one um think of it as just having a coffee chat with somebody or a cup of tea chat if that's your what you prefer um just think of it as that you know um it's informal you're just getting to know each other um and remember that these people you know bought from you so they like you they trust you you know you're already halfway there um I would always recommend doing it over zoom if possible so you can have that face-to-face interaction even if it is virtual um that definitely helps because they can read you and you can read them more importantly so you know if they're um their eyes light up you know you can dig deeper into sort of that answer that they're giving um and don't call them interviews I actually don't call them interviews when I'm trying to get somebody on the phone with me because well there were two types of interviews a job interview and a police interview <laughs> which I'm very not that I know about a police interview personally but they're you know they're very stressful high pressure situations so I think Firstly, like if you were to, if I would say to you, I want to interview you for X, you would probably freeze up and start to overthink everything. And so you want them to feel as relaxed as possible. And the more relaxed they feel, the more relaxed you're going to feel. So just call them a chat. I think I'd say like, I just want to ask you a few questions. Are you free for a 45 minute chat? And just make it seem really informal. So um, yeah, I would say they're sort of the main things. And um, if you are doing it over Zoom or even on the phone, a couple of tips I would recommend are to always stand up. When you stand up, um, you can breathe easier. Um, and it just makes you feel so much more relaxed and it really shows on the screen and smile, even if you're on the phone, because it does translate through your voice. It does. And yeah. they sound like such small things, but they make a huge difference when you feel relaxed yourself. Hmm. That is so true. And um, I noticed um, a little while back that you said that these, I'm going to think, I'm going to call them chats now, right? So these chats are with current customers or past customers or people who didn't buy. But how about when you're researching for something that's completely new? So I'm totally raising my hand here because at the time of this recording, um, I'm currently launching my sustainable visibility incubator. And it's the first time I'm doing this and I haven't worked one-on-one with somebody. So it's basically, it's just completely new. So would you recommend using this, these chats as a way to gather like, you know, really rich insights for something that has yet to be developed? A hundred percent. So in your case, I would still chat to people that you've worked with one-to-one whether it's your VIP days because they're still going to have so many insights about what makes you you and why they chose Make mm. so and that's what we really want plus um I would imagine it would still be a similar audience that you're going for so they're still going to have the same problems they're still going to use the same language and so it's really about gathering as much um intel as you can um, and I think before you asked me about the number of interviews, um, which I just remembered, <laughs> I didn't answer that part of your question. <laughs> um, so typically I do five to seven interviews and I always try and book more than that in um, because people cancel, things yeah. change, schedules change. And so when I speak to my customers, I try and say, you know, do you have 10 to 12 people that I could speak to? I contact them all. Not everyone's going to reply. Mm. Um, sorry, my client contacts them, CCs me in. So that way it's sort of a warm introduction. Not everyone yeah. replies and not everyone will 
you know, be able to fit sort of the schedule. So you're looking around five to seven, I would say, which I know sounds like a lot, but that's for you to really get those patterns of the goals and the problems that they're experiencing. And again, the more information that you've got from them, the easier copy is going to be to write because most of it will be on on from your interviews and your review mining. So the more thorough your research, the easier it is. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so, you know, I've done my homework, Nick, because I did do um, over five interviews um, for the program. And it was with people who were, you know, beautifully suited and whether or not they joined, it doesn't matter because, you know, they gave me the insight to help make it a reality. <laughs> so that was pretty, pretty cool. Ah, alrighty. <laughs> I think it helps guys, because you have that one-to-one connection with your audience. You mm. work with them one-to-one for such a long time. And so you have such a good read of them as well. You get them. And so I think a lot of that language from them is going to be ingrained in you already. You'll have heard it in their sales calls. You'll have heard it on their VIP days. So that's another thing that you can do, which I've just remembered, is go through. Um, so I, my website's in the Squarespace. So when a client, potential client contacts me, I get a submission form. And so that's another great place for research because you're seeing what language your audience is using when they're contacting you. You know, mm, what are they saying true. they need? For me, for me, exact for example, they often say use the word clarity. They want clarity in their messaging. Um, and so that's another thing I would recommend. Go through the emails that they send you, record your sales calls if possible, and then go through the transcripts. And again, you can you'll be able to pick up similar words they use. And when you find out the most frequently used words and there will be some trust me there always is there's always a pattern you can use those words on in your sales copy to really get into the mindset of your audience yeah oh that is such a good tip because I currently book people through Calendly like as my booking service and it kind of doubles as um kind of like you know there's some questions to fill in before you book the call and um I have like a backlog of the answers to those questions like because I've now added a question why make a so as if it's like third person even though I'm not reading them but you know <laughs> and yeah they do give like really rich insight as to like what is the common reason why people are coming to me specifically what is the problem that they can't solve on their own or they want to choose me to help them solve it um yeah that's that's a really good tip so thank you for that and for anybody else who hasn't got that question in their booking forms or their service highly recommend it because that tells you why you and not anybody else in the market so highly recommend <laughs> I'm actually writing that down because I like that I'd never thought of that thank you see I'm always Everyone's still learning. It's yeah, all learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just like quickly like recap step by step. So we have the goal of like securing five to seven interviews. Reach out to more because there's going to be some people who cancel, some people who don't respond. When they do say yes, um, have these calls on Zoom if possible. Stand up to really like help your regulate your breathing and smile um, as you speak because that translates to sound to really help them feel comfortable. So I guess now would be a perfect time to go over some core questions. So Nick, I'm gonna gonna let you um, like lead this part because I know that when we spoke in the green room, I was really excited for this because I know you're quiet rebels and you like live examples. So 
this was not um, like, I don't know what questions you're going to ask me. So what you're going to hear is exactly how I would respond to these questions. <laughs> so um, yeah, not pre-scripted at all. So Nick, go for it. <laughs> Let's go. So, okay, we're going to pretend that I am interviewing you. Okay. So I want you to think back to the day that you hired your website designer. Okay. And what was going on in your life that made you hire her? So I had a pretty good website in, you know, a way that I was like, I was half proud of it. I was like, oh yeah, I don't mind people seeing this. But I think what it was for me is when I was ready to play a bigger game, I wanted to be freaking proud of that website for it to reflect the professionalism, the experience and positioning that I have secured for myself over these past few years. So I didn't feel that connection with my website. And so the day I chose to hire uh, my designer, brand strategist, was when I was really ready to take my business to the next level. And so it seems like from what you just said that your website was making you feel ashamed. You didn't want to show it to people. Yeah, it was kind of, it wasn't full blown website shame, but as like website awkwardness, it was like, <laughs> this is all right, but <laughs> it's not something that, bit, oh yeah, go there. Because now, nowadays, I'm like, have you seen my website yet? And if they say like, no, I was like, oh, trust me, you're going to want to do the egg hunt because the kind of people I attract, like, yes, they want to get like, you know, shiz done and everything, but they love having fun whilst doing so um so it really taps into that you know that playfulness the inner child um that often can be kind of suppressed out of fear of not being professional but I'm just like I'm like guys there are like cartoon eggs that are animated on my website they all have special names they have besties they have special clues so if you want to have fun go there so yeah I feel pretty damn proud of it and seriously guys if you haven't done that for my website yet have a shot it's pretty fun but yes I don't it know. is pretty fun I have done it as well and so <laughs> I can feel like your excitement when you're talking about it and so yeah. talk me back to before you had your website redesigned so somebody asked you you know for your website link what happened next how did you feel I mean I would give it to them but there's a bit of reluctance to do so and I'm a big believer in the energy in which you do or say things so if I kind of like gave my website out reluctantly even if I haven't said anything apart from yeah sure here's the link a part of me is going to translate that dread into that message somehow like energetically and it would be on the receiving end of the person who potentially wants to hire me and yeah, I could just feel that block. And I'm a big believer in just like working on the things to help you fully receive the opportunities in your life and the people who come your way as a result. And I just feel that that wasn't quite there in the past. Yeah, so that's a huge transformation then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they were the questions. So basically what I did there... um, So that first question I asked you was about thinking back to the day that you did X, and this can apply to whatever you're selling. Um, You want them to to remember that day or the month or the year, it was a while ago, and really ask, you know, what was going on in your life that made you want to buy X? And that's going to really dig into the problems and the feelings that you were going through, which you said, you know, 
you weren't proud of it you were feeling when somebody <laughs> to quote when somebody asked you for your website and so when you'd explained that I then repeated back to you what you said mm-hmm. so I said it seems like you're feeling x and so I sort of summed up what you said and then put it back to you and then did you see how you then explained further yeah I knew what you were doing but I was so yeah. drawn in <laughs> It was good. No, you were good. You were a good guinea pig. Um, and then you explained further. And then, so I took you back to before you had the transformation and really asked how it made you feel. And you gave some great terminology that I would then use, um, you know, maybe on your website, because uh, everybody has that feeling, but it's about, you know, especially referring to websites, everybody has that feeling of, you know, not feeling proud before they get it redesigned. So it's about translating that into something that can be taken into the copy. And so what I was doing there is making you dig deep. You know, I could have just asked you the first question and then moved on to, okay, well, how do you feel now? But instead we went further, went deeper. Mm. So you know how before we spoke about how these chats are not just for current customers, past ones, or people who don't buy, but also people who have yet to have worked with you at all. So my question to you is, what kind of question would you ask if the transformation hadn't actually happened yet? So in our chat just now, you asked me, what was it like before? What was it like after? But what if there is no after yet? What would you ask instead? Okay, I love this. So first of all, it's about finding out, like I did with you, how the website's making them feel. are they too scared to give it to people? Really dig into, you know, the emotions of that. Then I would go into, well, why have you decided not to hire a designer? Usually they would say the main two objections ever are always money and time. So they would probably give an answer of one of those. And then it's about digging deeper into that answer, um, uncovering any beliefs that they've got, you know, are they scared they're not going to make money again? Things like that. Um, And then one of the key questions I would definitely ask is what are they doing instead? So instead of hiring a designer, are they going to Google how to create your own Squarespace website, for example, and then try and DIY it? Are they going to buy a template for, you know, $200 and DIY it themselves? Because then in the sales copy, you can then position um, yourself as a website designer as the best possible option to whatever option these people said that they're going to take instead so for example with the template and DIYing it it's about reframing it as your option being the most time effective you know they don't have to worry about it so yeah that's that's what I would go into oh I love that kind of painting an alternative reality that is you know it's perfectly viable but it's like which path do you want to choose one like that's a bit more DIY or actually investing in the help to get it done you know without DIYing it (laughs) exactly yeah oh love that okay so I think we've got a pretty good grasp um on this whole um I'm trying not to use the I word (laughs) because I'm like okay technically they're chats um which they are just like and it made me think like oh maybe I shouldn't call these podcast interviews anymore maybe I should just call them podcast chats I don't know (laughs) Ah, but anyways so we talked about the practicalities of how to you know set up these chats how many to look for the kind of questions to ask but the thing is Nick like as like 
okay, technically I'm a fellow copywriter, even though I don't identify as one anymore. But, you know, there is this danger in the copywriting space where there is confirmation bias, where many of copywriters actually believe they already know the answer. So they only basically like take those pieces of voice to customer data and use it in the copy. That's, you know, it's very biased. So how how do you kind of like ensure that doesn't happen? Because in your journalism job, you've had to stay neutral like you can't have this idea in your mind like oh this is what happened um you know this is who's to blame this is the victim like all that kind of stuff so you have to really detach yourself in such a way so how do you apply that in your copy because I know you have a really special um framework for that yeah this is something I teach so I am obsessed with you know serial killer novels detective novels true crime and so I realized that when a copywriter or even a business owner approaches research for their, for their copy, they have to approach it like a detective. So like you said, you have to remove the, you know, the bias and, and remain objective. When a detective goes to a crime scene, they can't think, oh, well, I know this guy's the criminal. So I'm going to look for evidence that backs up because you're not always going to lead to the right conclusion. You have to find the evidence and see where that leads you. And so often when people are researching, they think that, okay, well, this is what my audience is struggling with. But instead, it's, it's about going into the interviews. Don't place any words in your audience mouth. So I would never ask, so would you say procrastination is the main thing that you struggle with? Mm. No, you have to ask them what is the main thing that you struggle with. Let them answer for themselves. And sometimes I'll surprise you. And the thing that I'm actually struggling with is not what you thought it was. Mm. And I think it's important to remember that while yes they might struggle with the thing that you think they struggle with is it strong enough for them want to pay for it to be solved you know they really have to feel it and so I have um, a signature framework called the PI method play on private investigator <laughs> and sort of three parts to it so there's remaining objective there's probing so that's where part of the chat interview stage where I ask you follow-up questions and really dug past those surface level answers And then the third part of that is mirroring and there's sort of two parts to this. So mirroring is actually a technique used by FBI hostage negotiators. And I'd recommend everybody read a book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. It's incredible. Um, He was actually a hostage negotiator and he uses Mm -hmm. loads of techniques um, in these negotiations, which are actually really applicable to marketing. It's incredible how it sort of works together. Um, but mirroring is basically when you're in, when you're talking to somebody, you mirror the last three words of their sentence or the key three words. And it takes a bit of game practice. Um, but what that does is it puts the question back on them and makes them dig deeper into what they're saying. So you can either do that in the interviews, but mirroring is also about using your customer's words in your sales copy so that when they read it, they think, oh, my gosh, Make gets me, you know, so you want to reflect their experiences, their stories, their emotions and their language back at them by simply repeating what they say. Mm. Oh, so good. And I love how it, like your genuine like passion, <laughs> you know, for uh, what was it crime and yeah <laughs> and how it all leads into uh, the PI sort of it's literally a hat you need to wear right yeah <laughs> what do you think of Sherlock Holmes hat <laughs> yeah exactly yeah definitely yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's it's so important that we've spoken about this, that we have to remain neutral. We can't allow our personal experiences or biases to be projected onto the people that we are speaking with because then it becomes like skewed the responses that are going to come back to you exactly yeah you've got to follow where the evidence takes you <laughs> love it <laughs> all right nick well thank you so much for like really giving us an insight into your interview process i love how your background has really led you to be so strong in like the foundational part of any copywriting project that is to be successful the research so thank you so much for sharing that and your pi method and for doing a live demo for us as well so i know that my quiet rebels are probably they probably at one point tried to scramble for those questions but i know you have a special resource that you made like guys when Nick and I were talking uh, a couple of months back to set up this chat <laughs> on the podcast, uh, you know, she this wasn't even like in, this wasn't available because she actually made it like not just for us, but we were like a main reason why she even created this resource. So could you tell us a little bit more about that and where we can go to get it? Yeah, so I, as you know, teach about research and interviewing and everybody always asks me what questions should I be asking when I'm speaking to my customers. So I've put together a resource um, where I've literally given you the questions that I ask people when I'm interviewing them. Um, and so my recommendations for this is to use this resource as a base. Um, when you're interviewing people, it's so easy to sort of stick to the questions and be super rigid but just remember that it's a conversation so you know see where the conversation takes you so I use this as a base to make sure that I've ticked them all off um but I see where the conversation takes me and I ask follow-up questions and I dig deeper um so yeah just a reminder for that just so to keep it all fluid and natural yeah you go to my website www.nicolamores.com forward slash questions and you can grab it there all right, perfect. So guys, I'm going to pop that into the show notes so you know where to go. Um, just go to the show notes for this episode and you'll get all the links to connect with Nick there. So it's, all, it's your website, nicolamores.com forward slash questions and then your website overall. Where Which social media platform is your favorite and that you're the most active on? Oh, Instagram. I spend way too much time on that. It's actually really <laughs> embarrassing. I'm not going to tell you how long because it's so embarrassing. Yeah, oh. I'm, on, I'm on Instagram. Oh, okay. So what's your handle? Again, I'll pop this in the show notes. Nicola Moores. Yeah, at Nicola Moores, yeah. Okay, perfect. Alrighty, so I've got a couple of final questions for you, Nick. So are you ready for them? Yeah, I'm a bit scared now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good, it's all good. You, you've, you've heard this podcast before, you know what I'm going to ask you. So <laughs> number one, what makes you a quiet rebel? I think it's having that certainty inside yourself you know you don't always need to vocally express it but it's just having that unshakable belief that you're following your purpose and your true intent like I know this is what I'm meant to be doing um and I know you feel the same way about your path that you're on so I think that's yeah that's what makes me a quiet rebel Ooh, no one's ever said it that way before I love that you hear that guys unshakable belief in what we're doing Mm-hmm. that's what we do <laughs> so my brother he is a, we're really close actually and he's always said to me you know he's 
very attractive, very confident. And that's something I've definitely struggled with in the past. Um, and he's always said to me, you've got to back yourself. And that's really stuck with me. I've never admit this to him, to his face. Um, <laughs> it's really stuck with me because if you don't back yourself, then who else is going to? So it's really important to, yeah, have mm. that belief in ourselves. And it mm. shows up in everything that you do. Oh, that's so good. So what's your brother's name? Jack. <laughs> Jack. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can you can you didn't have to say it to his face you said it on this interview so, sorry this chat um so you can just send the link to him and just give him a time set like you're welcome bro yeah put you on the map <laughs> <laughs> love it Alrighty, and one final question that i absolutely love asking my guests so Guys, if you are new to this podcast and you may not know what's about to happen next, but if you are a regular listener, then you do. So when you hear the sound, it means it's time for a fact of the day for our guest. So, Nick, I realized I didn't mention this in the green room, so this is completely coming at you. <laughs> but I, tr- I trust that you will have something. So what is one weird fact or a fun story that only we can know about you? that's not like available on social media it's not about it's not on your website about page or anything like that what's something that only we can know so this is you have put me on the spot but I do have something for you so I was actually on a top 40 uh single here in the UK so um for anyone not in the UK top 40 is like the chart every week basically Mm -hmm. so when I was nine I think I was um I was part of the school choir as everybody was and so we got invited to the Manchester evening arena I can't I can't remember what it's called now but MEN it used to be called back then Manchester Mm -hmm. evening news arena and loads of schools from around the country were invited as well and we got to sing with a he was a kid singer called Declan he never really made it that big but he was I actually fancied him when I was nine And we got to sing with him, known as the Young Voices Choir, and he recorded a single. And um, the song is called Tell Me Why. It's by Declan. You can find it on YouTube. I was actually listening to it the other day. And anyway, so a few years later, I was actually in Woolworths. <gasps> R.I.P. <Woolworths> down. <laughs> um, and I was like, I used to buy my DVD, actually it was videos back then, and CDs from there. And I think I was about 14. And I'm in the bargain like the bargain bin where like they were selling CDs for literally 20p and I found this single by Declan tell me why featuring the young voices choir and so I took the booklet out and my name was in there oh my god yeah we were also a Guinness world record at the time for the world's largest choir um and I don't know if I ever kept that CD you know I don't know if I did I might have oh you should have oh my god no I'm sure it'll be somewhere maybe at my parents house but um but yeah, there you go. Oh, well, guys, Nick was already famous. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that is so cool. So, so cool. I'm not and, a singer now though, so it's probably good that thousands of other people are drowning me out. <laughs> but wait, um, you said Guinness World Records for the the largest choir. How many people were in your choir? Oh, so because there were so many of the schools there at the arena, they counted it as one. Oh, so I, see. I can't remember, but I know that record has been broken since. But even <laughs> so, you know, maybe I should put that on my website, you know, previous world <laughs> record holder. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, all right. Well, that is super awesome. So thank you for gracing us with your presence, old famous one. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, that's for reals. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and just like just reminding us of a very powerful way to connect with our audience, whether they are our current customers or not, or to be. There is a really beautiful way to connect with them. So thank you for giving us some real life examples and um, yeah, sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun to Thank chat you. with you yeah <laughs> oh yeah so totally after like we stop recording we're, we're gonna have like a proper catch up <laughs> <laughs> all right and here we go and so my lovely there we have it so everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes so be sure to head for that link and if you haven't done so already i would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation and of course if you feel cool too i would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us Oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Choir Rebels podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.